Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 19. And we're going to look at Luke chapters 12 through 17 and John chapter 11. Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. In these chapters, there's so much to cover. We're going to just get right to it. So many great principles and and lessons and parables that the Savior gave. We certainly aren't going to be able to cover all of them, but we'll just try to give you an overview of what's uh, discussed, some of the the key concepts and principles that are in here, and really just help jumpstart your own personal study this week in looking at these chapters. Now, first, the overview. In most situations, 99 out of 100 would be considered excellent but not when such numbers stand for the beloved children of God. In that case, every one soul merits a thorough, desperate search until we find it. As the Savior taught in the parable of the lost sheep, then the rejoicing can begin. For joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons, who which need no repentance. If that seems unfair, it's helpful to remember that in truth, There are none who need no repentance. We all need rescuing, and we all can participate in the rescue, rejoicing together over every soul who is saved. I love that little introduction, uh, as that really sets the stage for a lot of this. A lot of the parables that the Savior gives in these chapters is about helping him find what was lost, or the joy that comes when what was lost is found. Now, the first principle I want to take a look at is in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to take a look at verses 15 through 22. And really, the Savior's teaching here, one of the most, I think, prevalent ways that we can become lost. As was mentioned in the introduction, every single one of us needs rescue. And in these verses, he shares a parable that I think we can all relate to because at times we can all see ourselves as the foolish rich man that is referenced in these verses. Verse 15, he starts out with the warning in Luke chapter 12. He says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he speaks a parable where he says, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. If you didn't notice up to this point, I tended to overemphasize every time he refers to himself, I, mine, my goods, all the things that he's done, all the things that he has received, all the things that, that he has built and laid up in store for himself. The great problem with the sin of covetousness is that it is all focused on us. It is focused on me, what I want, what I need, and there's no room to think of anyone else. In verse 20, God says to this kind of individual, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And then really speaking to all of us, he says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I really love these verses in this parable and all the principles that are taught here. 
it really is something that every single one of us needs to remind ourselves of because it can be so easy to find ourselves, as I mentioned early on, in the shoes of this foolish rich man who has just spent his life acquiring things for himself and really just focusing on living a life of ease and plenty and enjoying all the earthly things that, that he has acquired. As hopefully we all know, the problem with that is that we can't take any of it with us. One of the, the great lessons I've learned from Kung Fu Panda 3 was a great statement that was made by Master Ugwe to an individual that really was spending the majority of his effort and time trying to accumulate things. To this individual, this, this great Kung Fu master said, why is it that you can't understand that the more you take, the less you have? And I just I love that statement. Life really isn't about acquiring wealth. It's about learning to give what we have. A man is rich, really, who has friends and is surrounded by those who love him. It's not about money or material possessions. I mean, really think about this. What part of anyone's wealth can even the most wealthiest and richest people in the world take with them? Is there any amount of it that they can take? Not even a dime, not even a penny. Which is why the Savior pleads with us to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth, but treasure where moth and rust does not corrupt, neither do thieves break through and steal. And young people, this is really such an important lesson to learn early on because we live in a world that says a very different message and sends a very different message to all of us. You're going to see so many things that you're going to want to spend your time and, and money on trying to acquire. You're going to see the nice cars. You're going to want the nice homes. You're going to want all the, the, the clothing, the, the recognition and praise from the world. You're going to want the successes. You're going to want to be up on the stages, getting the awards, all of these things, which inherently by themselves are not bad. And there's nothing wrong with having those desires. But if that is the focal point of our life, then by the end of our life, when we get to the end of it, there will be two great regrets that we have. One is that we can't take any of it with us, not any of it. And two, the Lord makes it very clear that when we get to the other side, we will be sorely disappointed that we didn't spend our time and effort towards trying to accumulate the kind of wealth and riches that won't just last through life, but through eternity. A great, uh, another great story example of this is the story of Jacob and, and Esau from the Old Testament. Who Esau came back from hunting and was incredibly hungry, to which Jacob kind of played on that hunger and offered him a, 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 a bowl of porridge for his birthright, which was ridiculous to, to really consider all that was being traded in that transaction. Yet Esau more than happily gave up his birthright because he wanted something in the moment. And while we could easily look at Esau and be like, man, why would you give up so much for so little? Well, all of us, if we take a hard look at ourselves, could see how easily it is to be like Esau and give up things of eternal significance for things that we want in the moment. This really is a decision that we often make almost daily. Each of us have been given a birthright to all that God has. I want you to think about that for a moment. Is whatever we want in the moment worth giving up that is it worth giving it up to chase for what we want right now? How foolish will those people look who had wealth and didn't use it to bless the lives of others, who had opportunities to accumulate eternal wealth by using what they had to bless and help others, and yet they spent it frivolously on themselves? 
one of my favorite stories around Christmas time that really teaches this principle powerfully is the story of A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. If you remember that Jacob Marley was in torment after having lived just such a life, giving up everything eternally for what he wanted in the moment, the acquiring of earthly wealth. That torment that he talks about in this little story may very well be that the way that hell is. It's, I don't believe it's some physical place of incredible burning heat, but it's a place, I believe, of deep remorse and regret that really burns people up inside. As he said, the spirits of all men, if they did not go forth in life, are consigned to go forth in death and witness what they did not share, but might have shared and turned to happiness. And then this great lament from him, why did I walk through the streets of crowds of people with my eyes turned down and not look up to that blessed star that led the wise men to a humble abode? Was there no place to which its light might have conducted me? Remember, young people, especially in your search for wealth in life, where true lasting wealth will be found, and that the more you take, the less you have. Which means, on the other hand, the more you give, the more you will get. <laughs> See how that kind of works? It's just such a great principle, something to, to consider, I think, especially under the, the notion that that really can be one of the ways that we most easily can get lost, chasing really the desires of the world over the desires of heaven. Ironically, after teaching about, I think, one of the ways that we can most easily become lost, the Savior then gives several parables about how what was lost can be found. The parable of the prodigal son, the parable uh, of the lost sheep, the parable of the coin that gets lost, and all the joy that's associated with the return of each of these things. And for principle number two, what I want to focus on is the parable of the prodigal son. There's so much in here that we won't take the time to go through everything, but just a couple key thoughts related to the parable of the prodigal as it's found in verses 11 through 32 in Luke chapter 15. Now, as the story goes, and, and most of you will be familiar with it, a very wealthy man had two sons, and one son in particular wanted to, to get his inheritance early, and so he asked his father to give it to him, and, and then he took it and, and left and went and spent it in frivolous, riotous, I think was the word, living. And then after having lost it all on that type of living and recognizing he had nothing left and even was found eating scraps uh, that the swine would eat, he came to himself and recognized the only thing he could do was to go home. To which upon returning, a very different and humble man, after having lost everything, his father embraced him, welcomed him home, killed a fatted calf, put a, a great feast together at his return to celebrate that his son had come back. To which his other son, who had stayed with him the entire time, became jealous and was a little angry at the special treatment that his brother had received because, well, he had done none of those things, and yet there had never been anything like that done for him, to which the father teaches him a great principle at the end. And I, I think one of the, the takeaways of this, just as a reminder again for all of us, is that we're all lost. <laughs> Every single one of us is the prodigal, and probably a little bit of both. There are times that we, like Esau did, uh, like the prodigal did, will want things in the moment and trade them for things that are eternal in significance. We will make those mistakes, every single one of us. But then on the flip side, I think there'll also be times where we'll be like the other prodigal, where we'll be so kind of caught up in maybe self-righteousness that we fail to see the significance and importance of extending great amounts of kindness and love and even celebration at the return of, of those that have made mistakes. And really at the heart of both of these 
kind of sides of the spectrum is the sin of pride. President Benson referred to pride as the universal sin, meaning that every single one of us has it and every single one of us will struggle with it. And he went on to define pride as enmity, which is hatred toward God or our fellow men. And really the truth is pride causes separation. It does not bring things together. And at some point with our wrestle with pride, we, like the first son did, will have to come to ourselves. I love that phrase, and I'd encourage you to mark it. He came to himself. At some point, each of us, in spending our energy in riotous living or living without God in our lives, have to come to ourselves and recognize that living life our way instead of God's way will not work in the long run, and we'll need to return home in humility. But then in doing that, I absolutely love this next verse. Young people, I know how you are in beating yourselves up for the mistakes that you make. I just, I know, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself personally, and I've been around it as a teacher. Please make sure that you mark verse 20, because when he was yet a great way off, do you notice what his father did? His father saw him, which means the only way that he'd be able to see him from that great a distance is if he had been looking for him, watching for him, waiting for him to return. And what was his response? Was it, I told you so, you idiot. Why'd you spend all my hard-earned money? You blew it. No, he had compassion on him. He knew how hard it was to live in the world and the mistakes that most likely he would make and all of us would make. And so he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and celebrated that he was home with two great statements. Verse 24, he, he makes mention that he that was dead is alive again and he that was lost is found. I want you to understand that when you think Heavenly Father (laughs) will be mad at you because of the things that you've done, the truth is it is quite the opposite. The joy, the celebration, the, the welcoming back with open arms will be as real to you as it was for the prodigal son. You will feel of God's love and welcoming you back from any poor choices that you've made or mistakes that you've made doesn't mean that he'll save you from the consequences of them, but he will help support you through them and love you through them and celebrate that you are on your way back and that you've found your way home. And then, of course, the brother that was angry at his brother's return that was celebrated so much because he hadn't done any of those things, yet he was still lost in his pride, wasn't he? He was just lost in a different way. Remember, all have sinned and have fallen short, every single one of us. We are in good company when we beat ourselves up for the mistakes we've made because everyone has made them. So let's really try not to condemn others because they sin differently than we do. Instead, let's celebrate everyone's return, including our own, when we make the decision to do so. Remember, as the father said to that particular son, all that I have is thine. There is enough for everyone to have. And learning to really celebrate others' successes can be a hard thing because at times we may be envious of those successes or of the celebration that uh, accompanies them. I remember as a a missionary that there were a couple of, of other missionaries in my mission that were incredibly successful. For whatever reason, they just had it figured out. But what I noticed is that they weren't spoken very highly of by other missionaries. Their success was always attributed to things that they maybe weren't doing right, or you know they were just finding people that uh, just baptizing them too quickly. There was just a lot of negativity 
towards their successes and towards their accomplishments. And I didn't want to be like that. In fact, I remember a, a great uh, example from the scriptures where Alma, uh, who went on a mission with the sons of Mosiah, spent just as much time teaching and preaching and, and, and trying to bring people to Christ. But we don't see anywhere near the results that he had as we do with the sons of Mosiah. And although he certainly had success, the sons of Mosiah had more. And yet when Alma found out just how much success that they had, he didn't belittle it. Uh, He wasn't upset or angry about it. It didn't cause him to, to be envious or jealous of them in any way. The scriptures just simply record that when I saw the success of my brethren among the Lamanites, he said, my joy was even more full. And I love that. When we learn to find joy in the success of others and don't feel jealous or envious of it, then we'll have taken a large step towards being enough without everything so that we will be enough with it. As I've mentioned several times, I really believe that's a big part of our life's experience that we're meant to, to have and to learn is to learn to be enough without everything so that one day we'll be enough and ready for everything. That's really the key to God giving us all that he has. We first have to learn to be enough without it. And one of the ways that we could do that is by learning to celebrate the successes of others, the return of others, the goodness of others, the blessings of others. Remember, Satan is all about, he was all about, give me thine honor. He wanted everything now. It was all about him. Christ was just the opposite. The honor and glory be thine, which is why Christ was chosen and given everything. Now, principle three, I just want to focus for just a moment on the story of the the 10 lepers as found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. As the scriptures record in verse 12, and he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Just a couple neat thoughts, I think, on this one. The miracle came to them as they went. I think it's important to recognize that some blessings don't come until we take action. Even if we don't understand how doing something can always help. I don't always understand how giving tithing can help me have more instead of less, but somehow it does. I don't understand how reading my scriptures can always help with problems that I'm facing in my life, but they do. I don't always understand how prayer works so powerfully or how going to church just helps bring blessings, but those blessings tend to come as I went or as I do them. But then when the blessings come, the second part really of the story, and maybe one of the most important things that we have to do is to not get so caught up in the blessing that we forgive to return to the source from whence the blessing came. We have so much, and there's so much yet that we fail to give God thanks for. I mean, when was the last time that you thanked God for, oh, I don't know, indoor plumbing, uh, or carpet (laughs) to walk on, or Velcro, (laughs) or a sunny day, or the smell of rain, or a friend that was there for you at just the right time, just the right way? 
There's such a powerful blessing that can come to us even more than the blessings we have when we recognize and return to the source of the blessing. I had a student that came to me once uh, as an example and just thanked me profusely for a lesson that I had given, making comments that I had just taught something at just the right time in just the right way that she needed to hear and was just so appreciative of it which I thought, well, I'm I'm so glad that I could do that, but yet I wanted to take the opportunity to help her return to the source. And so I pointed her to God and I said, is it possible, as much as I love to be a part of this, that, that it's he that inspired me to say what I did, to teach what I did. And as I talked to her about that, her eyes filled with tears. And although she didn't say it in words, Inside, she had returned to the source and had said thank you. And she was being made whole through that. There are so many blessings all around us, so many that we often don't see. I'm reminded uh, in the Old Testament how the children of Israel were blessed in ways that they had no idea in the moment they, they were being blessed. The Lord had it pointed out to them that they had shoes that hadn't worn out and clothes that hadn't worn out in the many years that they had been wandering. I wonder if we can better develop the eyes to see the blessings that we've been missing. One of the things I would encourage everyone to do, that I would encourage you to do for those of you that are listening, is to begin writing a gratitude journal each night that just simply contains three things from over the course of the day that you are thankful for and that you answer one question after writing those three things down. And that is, how have you seen the hand of God in your life? Straight from... Elder Irene's counsel, something that he does every single night. Doing that, he said, allowed him to better see the things that God has done in his life. Just like the song goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God hath done. Such a great concept, such a great thought and principle that if we can apply into our life, not only will we better see our blessings, but we'll be blessed even further by being made whole through them because we've returned to the one that has blessed us. Now, normally I'll just do three uh, principles, but there's just so much in this this week's uh, reading that I, I want to do one more. And this is John chapter 11. And it contains the story of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead. In this particular, in chapter 11, I have in my scriptures two dried flower petals, one from each one of my grandmother's funerals. I love my grandmas and miss them all the time. And these petals are a reminder to me of what Jesus taught two grieving sisters about their brother Lazarus, who had passed away. In verse 25, he teaches them in their grief and reminds them that I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then after teaching such a powerful truth, he asked them an equally powerful question. He says, Believeth thou this? Then in verse 39, Jesus tells them to take away the stone, which is a whole other principle we could get into. But just know that if you will do what you can, God will do what you can't. He was just about to bring somebody back from the dead. I don't think it was a far stretch for him to remove that stone through some power of his own as well. But he didn't. He gave them the opportunity to, again, do what they could do, and then he stepped in and did what they couldn't. So great lesson principle there is for you to always focus first on doing what you can and leave to God what you can't. 
give that to him, put that in his hands and trust that he will do those things that you can't do. This miracle in the calling forth of Lazarus from the tomb was one of the greatest testaments really to who he is. When I was teaching seminary years ago, I was walking through a grocery store and I came across a magazine. It was around Christmas time, very popular magazine, but the cover was a picture of the nativity. And at first I thought, oh, that's so great. This popular magazine is referencing Christ during Christmas time. But then when I saw the title of it, (laughs) I knew uh, I was wrong. The title was something along the lines of new research questions whether Christ was more teacher than literally the son of God. Well, That's exactly what Satan wants us to think. No, he's not just a great teacher. He is the literal son of God with power over life and death and sin. He is the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in him shall never die. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? The fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died was buried and rose again the third day and ascended into heaven and all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it that's from the prophet joseph smith the core fundamental truth that is at the heart of everything that we believe is that jesus lived that he died that he was buried but that he rose again the third day and ascended into heaven that he is literally the son of god and that everything else are just appendages to that one great truth. Boy, if we can just really internalize that, then everything else will better fall into place. Because why wouldn't we want to listen then to his teachings? Why wouldn't we want to try to follow them? Why wouldn't we want to try to follow him? If we believe that he is who he says he is, then it makes it a lot easier to follow his injunction to come follow me. Now, some questions I'd like for you to consider or discuss from the principles this week might be something along the lines of what are some things in your life that you might be pursuing that hold very little eternal value? And how can you best apply the Savior's parable of the foolish rich man in your own life? How can you better give so that you can have more? Do you believe that no matter how lost you or anyone else is, that they can always return? Who is there in your life that could use your help in finding God again? How can you better love them and help them feel of His love for them through your own? How can you be more forgiving of others and focus more on your own sins and mistakes so that you don't condemn others for theirs? Why is gratitude such an important attribute to develop? How can you focus more on the blessings that you have instead of the blessings you don't? How can you better trust that if you will do what you can, he will take care of what you can't? How can you better help him in his great work to find those that are lost? Remember, the Doctrine and Covenants, it's made very clear that the thing that will be of most worth to you and to me is to declare repentance unto this people, to help those that are lost become found, to help him find what is lost. And then finally, what can you do as an individual to better center your life on Christ? What can you do as an individual to better help your family center your family on Christ? What can you do as a friend to help your friends better center their friendship on Christ? Do you believe not just in what he has taught, but in who he is? What role have prophets played in your life 
in coming to know and believe in Christ and his gospel? And how can you further rely on them to help your relationship and your faith continue to grow? I hope those questions will be helpful for you to consider, possibly even to discuss with one another. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life it most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So, let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.